welcome to the Pet Grooming Business Podcast with me, Bill Betts, where we give practical business advice to help you grow your pet grooming business. This podcast is sponsored by LowPay, the low-rate payment app that gives you more. So without further ado, let's get going. Welcome, everyone. Welcome, Sophie. It's nice to have you here. Um, yeah, Hi. Perhaps you can tell some of our, our listeners and viewers um, who you are, what you do, and how you do it for the people that haven't um, come across you as yet. Gosh, what do I do? Who am I? Who am I? Who are you? <laughs> I just said, I just said to Bill after a very stressful evening of trying to manage my three children and get them to sleep. Apart from the fact that it's up the number of steps on my Fitbit, there's no other benefit at all, um, and it makes it's made me forget forget my name at the same time. And um, so, <laughs> I'm Sophie Bell, and um, I'm a vet. I've been in practice for 13 years, and um, some time ago, back in 2014, I decided to qualify as a dog groomer. There were a lot of reasons behind doing that at the time, and I really thoroughly enjoyed my time in dog grooming, but I stopped around 2018 when I had my twins because it was really hard to balance everything and when I started my course dog grooming where the place I went to was a um, really lovely salon and they said to me do you know what it would be really nice if you could teach some of the students some first aid stuff just kind of threw it at me because actually we don't feel that it's covered very much so I went away and started to pick out a few things and then I thought actually maybe I could start doing this too you know why not vet groomer let's throw in a bit of first aid <laughs> and then I changed so, and that stopped everything <laughs> <laughs> so you've gone from vet to pet groomer to teacher uh to conquering the world <laughs> well hopefully hey jack of all trades master of none um but yeah so I, I gave up grooming in 2018 didn't give it only gave up physically definitely didn't get out of the industry and in fact got more involved in the industry but in a different light through teaching I definitely wasn't going to be one of these posting my grooms and saying hey guys look at my amazing (laughs) trim on this poodle because you would have all laughed at me um because I wasn't particularly great but um my clients didn't mind they I have to say where I'm based I mainly see working dogs and it was mainly clip-offs and spaniels that was kind of my life really um, and I miss it I do miss um not just clip-offs on spaniels but I miss that that whole part of the industry so something had to give so I do a lot of teaching now not just first aid but you know variety of courses and webinars and topics um and I'm still in practice I'm yeah. still there for all my sins and, <laughs> which I, I do love actually which is I don't think I could ever give, I couldn't give that up, not no. at all. You've worked really hard to get there as well. You know, we all know how yeah. hard it is to go to the university and then into practice. So, um, yeah. And I've got my sister, cause my mum's not around anymore. Um, my sister, who I'm really close to, she always sort of brings me back down to earth. So, if I'm having a really bad day, I've had some really, you know, sad cases or really hectic night shift. She always says to me, I always think it's really sweet because she obviously really believes in me and says, but what would the animals do if you don't if you don't do it anymore? They won't they won't be able to to cope without you. <laughs> In the bigger picture, of course there are. There's a million vets out there, but it's very sweet of her because she makes me feel like, yeah, you're right. They need me. <laughs> so so I always head back even after a bad night shift, and and yeah, continue going you know th- through the motions and and trying to learn lots of new things along the way as well. Yeah, and there's something that we'll pick up later because um, one of the common interests that we have um, is 
trying to unite the two professions a little bit and create that understanding between vets and pet groomers, pet groomers and vets, because you yeah. know sometimes there is a void um, that we find as a, as a pet groomer, but also we we now employ a vet as well. So we, we're also sitting on both sides of the fence and I can see that, you know, there is a void, but we'll, we'll come on to that later and, and what you're yeah. sort of looking to, looking to do with the two industries, like clash their heads together or something, I don't know. <laughs> They have a big jewel in a room, a <laughs> big wrestling match. Yeah, that's it. That's it. So you do your first aid courses. Tell us about that, because there might be people listening that uh, are interested in taking up one of the courses or or need sure. the requalification, something like that. Yeah, so I started with uh, teaching just canine first aid uh, back in 2014 and just carrying out face to face courses. Then obviously, um, I well, I then went on and produced a video based online course. I was really picky about the way that I produced an online course because I wanted it to be really engaging. And that was a massive criteria for me. So I little do people know, I, I took out a loan and I paid an editor around £8,000 to edit a video based course for me. And I was totally in the red from the very beginning, but I made a decision that it's got to look good. You know, I can't put this out there. And just hand people a load of notes to read. It's just, it's just not what I do. So I took the took the sort of plunge really, and um, I won't lie, it took a long time to to build a reputation and for people to take it and to believe in it because people think of online courses as just, you know, navigating your own learning, like printing out sheets and reading them. And I didn't want that. I wanted someone to feel that it was like almost sitting in a classroom with me, lots of visual things, someone actually talking and teaching you. Mm-hmm. So I spent a long time doing that and then decided that once that started to, um, you know, bring in um, some some pennies and start to pay back what I owed, that I produce a feline based one because there isn't anything really. There's very little feline based content out there and um health wise you know and then obviously we've got the growing cat grooming industry who you know need this information yeah it's it's just as important for them and there are variations lots of variations between cats and dogs we can't use the same information from cats to dogs some of it is the same but there are specific things and you know they need to know and, and just to if anything to to make you feel better as a cat groomer if something happens that actually you're aware of what that something might be because cats are very different to dogs this sounds very dramatic but I always think of cats as it's a bit like this if I'm in clinic when we hold for blood samples now we literally are pretty much hands off if anything we might just face a licky lick above the, the cat's face and they're busy licking this and no one's restraining the cat apart from me who's pressing on the, the blood vessel to take the blood you know, because unfortunately, if a cat starts panting and stressing out, you literally have to be get your hands off because mm. I've seen them in my career where they've gone from looking fairly OK to, you know, having a heart attack there and then. So they are really different in the way of handling them, which I'm sure any cat groomers will appreciate as well. And they have they have sharp claws as well as <laughs> big sharp teeth. <laughs> and they growl. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I was going to I was going to use panting as an example actually, as to like if maybe if you didn't know, you know, know the cat's panting, but actually that's quite a, a dangerous sign, isn't it, for a cat? But yeah. also like cats growl at you and, and stuff like that. <laughs> I don't know. It's like wow. Do they? <laughs> they do and they do you know what sometimes I say it every time I'd be much more scared of being locked in a room with an angry cat than an angry big dog you know I feel like I just I don't know I just the fear of it you know I do 
I think over time I've started to really again you know when I started teaching people started asking me questions and I was like hang on a minute I can't just teach the info and not answer all the questions. And you're asking me things that people don't ask me in clinic. They're things I've never thought about or considered, you know, well-being things, behavioral things, quirky things. Like I use this supplement, you know, and I'm sat there going, what is that? So it led to a whole new learning for me. And every single day, I'm, you know, not going to lie, I learned something different every day. I have people on courses that still ask me questions and I'm like, I don't know, but I am going to research it and I am going to let you know. And that's what I love a bit. Yeah, that's probably one of the favorite parts of my lifestyle right now is the fact that it's so unusual. I learn so many interesting things um, and share them with my colleagues as well, you know, who are really open minded. I say open minded vets. That's a really kind of weird statement to make. But I know what I mean by that, that some people, you know, they qualify as a vet and perhaps feel that that's it. You know, you keep up to date with your regular CPD, but there's, you know, you just go through life dealing with the day to day and to be honest with you that is what most of it is around but when you're me who's dealing with lots of different people asking very unusual questions I can't do that so I have to push for more and actually I, I don't know if you found this but the power of um the power of Facebook power of Zoom you know has actually and we always go back to sort of COVID and say how you know how awful COVID was but there were, on the flip side there was other positives that came out of it you know look at this yeah. what we're doing now and like yeah. we're, we're talking about stuff and opening up conversations and lots of people are watching and listening and, and taking that on board so that knowledge starts to sort of really go out there doesn't it it starts to really sort of escalate out yeah yeah it does I mean COVID was a terrible time for so many and you know, I remember at the time, um, for me, it was good because I was just actually, as I was saying to you, Bill, beforehand, although I, I have a very, I'm a very funny person in terms of, so in 2014, um, I left a job that I really loved for, for many reasons. This is in the veterinary industry. And um, I decided at that point, because of a, a couple of kind of negative experiences with, with people that I work with, that I would actually go and I would locum. And then I became almost like a permanent locum. So I work in clinics, the same clinics really regularly. People just think I am part of the furniture and they go see Sophie. Um, but I don't, I don't, um, you know, I don't sort of, I still class myself as a locum. I'm not sort of tied there. So of course COVID hit in and everybody had to minimise the number of people they had in the clinic. So the first to go are the locums. It doesn't matter if you work there 10 years or not. Yeah. That's the risk you take. So I drove home from work one night after one night shift, one hell of a night shift, didn't really sink in until I got home and just went, hang on a minute. I just got told that I have no work for potentially the next four months, maybe longer, who knows? And it was a really scary time. Um, and, you know, it was really strange because I didn't know what I was going to do. And then I did a, a an event, a rather large event called the Groomers Lockdown. And people bought some courses and I was like okay I'm going to feed the family for a, for a couple of weeks this is all good and then that really changed my lifestyle so I went hang on a minute people like what I do blimey all this effort that I've been putting in really trying to trying to show people hey look I might be a vet but honestly I can really think outside the box here and I am you know I understand and I never judge and people actually suddenly went yeah, I like this. I'm going to start learning from this. And it was amazing because I suddenly created this business. So all those negative things of COVID, and we had them as well, and some horrible things, but something positive actually came out of it for me personally. Yeah, it showed you a different way, a different direction, didn't it? And it did. Sort of a, different, a different way of living, I suppose. 
This podcast is sponsored by LowPay. LowPay is half the price of SumUp and Zettle, so you keep more of the money that you earn. Rates start at 0.79%. And so how do you run your, your, your first aid courses now? Is it a mixture of online and in-person and video? or? Yes, obviously with COVID, I couldn't do any um, face-to-face courses at all. And so then I started doing them via Zoom, thinking that the people that perhaps don't want to do self-study, as in even though it's all video-based, some people just don't have that motivation to sit down on an evening and say, right, I'm going to do a quarter of the course tonight or a chapter or whatever they want to do. So I thought, well, I'll put I'll put the Zoom classes together because then it's a specific time. They have to be there and they do the learning, you know, with others, um, you know, obviously on the screen, but they, some people just like that. They like that feeling that someone is present actually teaching them. And then when COVID finished, I thought, well, I'll just see if anybody still wants to do the Zoom classes. And they were really popular and people sort of still said, actually, it works for me because I don't, I don't want to travel. And other people say that perhaps I've never done a course before. I'd rather do a face-to-face because I feel like if there's, you know, there's a couple of practical elements like bandaging and CPR. Um, although actually on that side note, something exciting I was thinking about. Now, this is just something that I'm just playing around with at the moment. I'm thinking about, I'm going to try and see what people think about doing a separate, like, sounds really weird, doing a theory part of the first aid and then putting together a two-hour practical where it's not just bandaging CPR, but it's lots of other little cool practical things that I've got in mind that I thought people could work around stations and learn lots of new practical things. Because otherwise, first aid is really bandaging CPR, their main practicals. Some people are very happy just to, to learn those from visualisation. And mm. some people want to compress a chest on my strange looking um dummy dog but to be honest you don't miss out because some people say oh i'm not I, I won't do online because i'm going to miss out i don't think you do and i hope so people have taken my courses don't feel they have uh, i think from the comments that you saw earlier i don't think people have missed out <laughs> no that's good and i do try so april saw three years of the online course so i because <laughs> i love to create myself more work i went it's three years old i know what i'll do I'm going to put about two months into working on it and make it even bigger. <laughs> I'm going to do more research and I'm going to update it all. So it's got a whole new feel now. From April this year, I, I you know, changed it around and give it another three years. I'll do the same because if people come back, I want them to go, oh, this is different. Oh, wow. I didn't know about that. You know, it's important that they don't feel, well, I need to renew it. But I've done Sophie's now. I want them to say, no, I'm going to do Sophie's again because I know I'm going to learn something else. That's really important to me as well. And that is the most important part, I think, about first aid is the more you practice it, the 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 more natural it will come should you ever need to use it. So and Yeah, I, absolutely. And I want to I wanted to I, I said to you before that you know, I wanted to highlight tonight the good work that pet groomers are actually doing out there with when it comes to saving pets' lives. And it's something I believe that as uh, an industry we don't shout about enough. You know, writing yeah. up case studies for our clients to say you know we found that lump on on the dog and we sent it to the vets and it was cancerous but because we've because we found it because the dog comes to us every six weeks and because we're hands-on we found that lump you know we insisted into the vets and now we've saved that dog's life of the owner you know we don't shout out enough about that do we we don't no no and there's a fear behind it i mean i think it was your on your group the other day uh that somebody you know got a complaint about raising a couple of concerns about a puppy that she was grooming that she obviously didn't form any form, some you know form of diagnosis, but just suggested that 
what she saw didn't feel like it was right. Mm. And there should be, that's just freedom of speech. And if anything, it's very helpful to that owner. And that owner took umbrage and basically ended up giving her lots of abuse. Um, I believe, you know, wanted her money back just for her trying to be helpful. And I just thought, wow, if this if that happens, then it's going to put people off saying, and you shouldn't be put off. Okay, you can't, you, you, you know, you know yourselves that, you can't make specific diagnosis, but then technically, nor can I, unless I've had my my hands on an on an animal. I can't say this is definitely a thyroid case. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, it's about just like you know, earlier on this year, I had about I've had about four or five of these now of dog groomers sending me pictures of bruising on dogs, like small patches of bruising. When I've asked them to take a picture of their their gums, they've had those same little pinprick red spots on their gums. And that's a sign of, of a blood clotting disorder. And one of those had lungworm, sadly didn't survive. Um, and some of the others had something called thrombocytopenia, where they're basically not making any platelets. And that is a condition where within 24 hours, that dog can decline rapidly. So basically, they save them. Yeah, critical conditions, aren't they? Which, you know, through that's their it. knowledge and the fact that they see the dog so regularly, they were able to sort of highlight. I suppose that's the word, isn't it? Highlight. Not yeah. diagnose. A highlight <laughs> yeah yeah oh absolutely and I think it's very important and obviously you know it was important to me which is why I then put the um uh canine health and welfare in the green room course together because I wanted to and, and that again I'm thinking I need to do more more for groomers you know I want to be able to put something more specific about skin um and you know work on some other common health problems that you know that actually I feel you need to be aware of you know and it's little things like in that course for example I talk about things like if a dog's on steroids you know do you actually know that that can change the dog's hair cycle so when that owner comes back and potentially moans at you that you know patches haven't grown back or it looks a bit bald in space in places that's not your fault but Mm. you don't know that if you don't know that if that makes sense so you know and that's important to me because otherwise you say the wrong things and do the wrong things. Because if you're anything like me, you know, it's like if something goes wrong at work. Oh, you know, who saw that case because they took home the wrong thing? Oh, is that me? Because that's what I, I always do that. I self-blame all the times or, you know, I'm almost there with my hands up all the time. Was that me? And then everyone at work's like, you're just terrible for this. You always think it's you that's made the, the error. I'm like, well, what is interesting about that is, and we're going to talk about the, the the culture. You know, what's interesting about that is that is very similar to the culture that my wife grew up in, and in the veterinary world, where it's like, not my case. I'm not. I'm not doing it. And you know, she had to yeah. sometimes like dogs were or animals were on the operating the- table, and something was going on. She'd had to go and get another, a more senior vet, saying, "You need to come in now." And they're like, "It's not my case." I'm not, you know, and this yeah. is the culture that that we've got. And yeah. we try very much try and run our pet groomers in the fact that we all check each other's work and no one has like the, you know, there's all quality control and, and everyone can say if there's a problem or so yeah. it's, it's trying to change that culture, isn't it? Definitely. And let's face it, multiple heads are better than one. Yeah. You know, I'm all up for discussing cases. You know, well, I do. I do all the time. I mean, I'm very annoying. Like, my, if, if any of my colleagues watch this, they'll probably be laughing because I'm always tapping on the door going, I just want to talk to you about this. <laughs> just, you know, I, in some ways, I almost sound like a new grad because I'm there always going, what do you think about this? What do you think? It's just because I always think, you know, you don't know everything. I definitely don't know everything. You know, I'm not, 
that's just not me and well it's not anyone I mean it's impossible to know everything and things change quickly and you know I, I like to learn I like to walk away I always say this every time to my partner I say to him I like to walk away from the clinic and drive home and think that's really cool I just learned that today and um, you know and it, it's sometimes it like the other day okay I worked with a lovely lady Delia um the happy skin vet and she is fabulous and I she taught me the other day that when the kind of crust is coming up on a hot spot, so it's like an area of wet eczema, we need to encourage owners to keep getting that crust off until it looks completely like it's coming into sort of normal skin. And I was like, it's such a simple thing, but I would never have told anybody to do that. So I kind of walked away and was like, well, that's quite a cool little tip. You know, for me, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start sharing that with people and saying, you know, yeah, I want you to keep wiping it away. You know, you feel it's drying out. I want you to keep continuing with the bathing. And whereas before I wouldn't have said do that. So, but it's little things like that that I really enjoy learning. And then, but again, it's that talking, isn't it? It's that networking and talking and, and chatting and and uh, being, like you said, being open to other people's opinions, thoughts, uh, stories. Yeah. You know, and having that open mindedness, and that's what's that. That's what makes difference, and that's why um, you you can come into the the grooming world as a bit and a pet groomer and be so popular and liked because you're so open. And, and happy to to discuss things with people that's that's too honest sometimes too too honest sometimes (laughs) because I never I never have anything to hide my mum always used to say that me sometimes so if you know you can't wear everything on your sleeve but I do and I can't change that I'm 40 now it's not going to change now um but I do I agree with you talking is well as you know because I don't I don't shut up talking is very very important um to learn and to to help And and I do think you know Unfortunately, it sometimes gets me into hot water as well because I sometimes just say what I think, mm-hmm. not in a, not to offend anybody. Um, you know, I definitely like to have a bit of a laugh at work because they're long days. You know, when you're doing a fourteen or fifteen hour night shift, sometimes it sounds weird. Maybe it sounds weird to people. That maybe it sounds offensive. But sometimes you've got to find some humour in some of those darkest moments because if you don't, you'll break. And it's really hard when you're like on your fourth night shift. You've just done this is your fourth fifteen hour night shift. And you think, I, I I just don't know if I can get through these next few hours. And this case is awful. And these things are so sad. You have got to do that. Otherwise, you know, and I am, and I, I guess that's as well. I have a really great rapport of a lot of vet nurses I work with because I do, you know, I do kind of have try and have a bit of a laugh at work as well and try not to sort of, because I know I'm going to get in the car and probably cry all the way home. So I'm going to try and have a bit of a laugh when I'm at work. because Otherwise, it's just all, you know, sad the whole time. So I do. And I think owners like that too, you know, like, you know, as long as it's obviously not something really serious that they're really worried about. But, you know, I, I remember saying very early on in my career, which is probably one of those moments that you shouldn't have actually said it. I saw a rabbit who wasn't particularly ill. It just, um, you know, he just hurt his toe. It was nothing really serious, but he was a bit quiet with it. And the man asked me, what do you think's wrong with my rabbit? And I just said, I think he's run out of batteries. And it just looked at me like, oh my goodness but then he did actually laugh and I was like oh maybe maybe this sort of humor doesn't really go down like but anyway it was fine and uh didn't mind about his little Duracell bunny that you know actually it was absolutely fine but I do you know and I have clients like that that I can I can have I can have a really great rapport with you know and we do have a giggle we do have a laugh and you know instead of it all being too dry and I don't know I don't like that one of one of my grooming clients, um, she received a card the other day. I think she 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 had to deal with a very matted dog and had to shave it all off. 
And uh, the client then sent her a card the next day with, with some sweets saying, oh, thank you for thank you for looking after me. You've done a great job. And on the other side, it went, I think it was sort of like, fuck you <laughs> from oh, the yeah. dog. <laughs> Love the dog sort of thing. And it's yeah. like, that, that are just like fantastic clients that understand the reasons why <laughs> and are able to look upon themselves and go, actually, yeah, she really needs to do that. We, 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 we should have brushed the dog more sort of thing. But those yeah. sort of, those, normally you, you worry, don't you, that you're going to get a load of, like a nightmare client come back and, and get all grumpy with you. But yeah. Yeah, like and that is where you've hit the nail on the head because of the power of Facebook. It's great. It's great. We can do things like this and it's horrible at the same time because everyone's ready, aren't they? To just share their story. And, you know, I don't know, is it, if something negative happens, they want to tell the world and they're going to tell you that they're going to tell the world. And then that makes you feel really on edge. And, you know, and I think that's one thing I mean, sometimes I sit there and I think, I'm gonna I'm gonna write this post tonight. And then I sit there and I think, oh gosh, but what about if you know I can really question it? Mm. And I think it's only a bit of humor, but then will it come across that way? Oh, you know, it's really hard. And I think for myself, the day I write a book is the day that I will put on the front if you're easily offended. I think it's probably better you just don't read it because I just think, you know, I I don't want the backlash, you know, but I've got some. I've got some great stories in the vet world, you know, funny and and sad. And I when, when, think, when, you know, love sharing them. When you write a book, and I, I love this about um, audio books, when you write the book, so you write the book, but then actually when you go, if you're, if the author then um, reads that book via or, on Audible or audio yeah. books, you then get a whole new perspective on that book because you're getting your personality and your tone and, and everything that's going yeah, on. That's a good idea. So, you, you know, so quite often I'll, I'll read a book, but, the book and I've got the person's voice in my head sort of as well but then I'll go and listen to the audio version and it's a completely different book sometimes not what you think because all the tonality yeah. and stuff like that so definitely. yeah that's true but although people probably really sick of my voice bill so by that point they'll be like I'm not buying the books if I have to listen to it for five minutes longer I think it's the end like you know so I don't know but no I, I you know there is a lot of I think um in all uh, professions, really, you know, there is always an element of pressure and it and it really affects your mental health. You know, and I think now we're much better about talking about that. And I mean, the veterinary industry is under terrible pressure at the moment. You know, we don't have enough staff and mm. um, people are under financial strain and, you know, vet fees are higher now than they were. And they are under financial strain and finding the money to be able to do that. And obviously there's emotional tie for them because they want to do the best for their pet it's stressful for us on the ground because we just want to treat them. But of course we're working for someone who owns a business. So we're at this like, well, I, I, I just, I want to do my job, but I'm so tied by lots of different angles and that can really affect your mental health. Mm. Because you can get it from everyone then. You know, everyone can be sort of angry at you and, you know, it's, it's all your fault. And you just think, I just, I just want to do my job, you know, and I think that's really hard. I was going to ask you, do you sometimes feel as though you're getting it from like both bowels? So you might have like pet groomers going, oh, the, the vets are not backing me up and they're blaming me. And then you do you get vets sort of saying, why do you support them? Why do you, you know, why do you help pet groomers? And, and do you get that from both sides? Does that? Sometimes, I mean, I think my, the clinic I'm at now are really good because they know, I like at the beginning, I think, I there are a couple of negative comments about groomers with a couple of things, couple of animals that we saw in clinic, and then I just explained that total language barrier, which was basically because one one thing was that a dog with heavily matted ears now 
I, I may as well tell you the quick story, actually. She was a pregnant dog and the groomer had made a decision that she didn't want to groom her during pregnancy. And that is fine. You know, there are times where it's safer to groom bitches when they're pregnant and some people feel confident doing that and others don't and as I said you know it's your business it's your decision it's your own mental health you want to sleep at night so you do what you want to do so this groomer decided that she didn't want to groom this dog during pregnancy and then wanted to wait until the puppies were weaned and um either gone or vaccinated which again I think is a very reasonable you know worried that the bitch might bring something back to them so by this point the dog was heavily matted so she clipped the dog but refused to do, well, not refused, I don't know, because I wasn't there actually, so I shouldn't actually speak for her, but didn't want to tackle the ears because they were so pelted mm-hmm. that she was worried that as soon as she clipped them, the dog would just get hematomas or was there a skin infection yeah. under there? Yeah. yeah, so then the owner came in and explained this and said the groomer was worried about hematomas. And straight away when the dog came out to have his ears clipped, um, on a, had to be on a 40, um, you know, there were quite comments of, Hematomas, I mean, you know, why is the dog going to get a hematoma from matted hair? And and I literally had to calm it down and go, guys, what groomers state as hematomas are slightly different to what you see in clinic. You see one big blood-filled sack. They see lots of little bits of bleeding. It's a different terminology. And when I sort of explained what they mean, they were then like, oh, okay, yeah, I see what you mean now. And then started with the next bit. Why didn't they just groom her when she was pregnant? I mean... And again, was going, but explain like I explained to you, it's their business. They're not vets. They're not vet nurses. If they come for a veterinary clip off in our care, it's different. We're handling it in a medical situation. If they don't want to do it, they don't want to do it. And they don't have to. And, you know, do you want to lose your business because a bitch decided that she was suddenly going to abort on your table and now that becomes your fault or not? And then from then on in, it's been great. And my clinic now, if we have skin cases, we usually call the groomers direct and discuss like a plan for the dog to help with the skin. Yeah. So we have a much better communication. But initially, yeah, it was a few like, don't you speak about them like that. In fact, it was that way. I was like, how dare you speak about the groomers <laughs> like that? How <laughs> did like, you, was that, uh, that communication thing where you're, you're getting vets to now, the vets in your practice to speak to the dog groomers and that? How did you, was that that you tried to implement or, or get going or did it just naturally come about yeah and sort of both three because it all came about I think partly me but also partly Delia who does all the skin there um who is this you know wonderfully open person anyway she's very very great to talk to and she was asking owners you know saying I really need you to be bathing a dog like twice a week um just to add in there that we don't use Malisev at our clinic before anyone's like, oh, I bet they're using Malisev. We don't. Um, but we have a we have a nice shampoo that we use, and we want the owners sometimes to do that twice a week to try and inv- reduce the environmental burden of an allergen in case mm-hmm. it was causing them to be itchy. So it's kind of one of the things we do in, with itchy dogs amongst many others. And um, owners were saying, but I, I can't manage them. I can't actually do that. And then it was a case of, uh, well, perhaps I'll speak to the groomer. And then she sort of started the conversation with, would you want me to actually? And then I can just explain exactly how I want them to use the shampoo to make it fully effective. And then from there on in, we just got a few regular groomers now that we just chat to about these cases and sort of say, well, this one's coming in and, you know, it might have this and we've advised this and they just kind of, yeah, work with us. And it's really nice. But it was just that initial, it was the clients really. I can't manage this at home and well how do I do it and then sort of going well hang on a minute the groomers are the professional bathers but actually we should use them 
yeah. so that was kind of how it really came about i guess yeah how 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 can we um how come how could we join the industries up how is there a way or is there a bridge that we can put forward it's very individual isn't it and it's very uh luck of the draw you know how do we start changing that culture of of them and us and us and them and i think that's all we need to start like to dissect the problems of what are the actual problems and actually I thought recently something I'll chat with you about, Bill, afterwards about perhaps doing an event or a Facebook Live where we do have some groomers, some vets um, together and something that I could help orchestrate and to put to them about the terminologies of what does that mean to you and what does that mean to you and trying to kind of understand and how do you understand, like what what do you see as a dog groomer? Like what what's their role? Like what you know how do you feel you could utilize them in your in your um capacity and you know do you actually understand what clipper rash is like do you know what that actually means because usually it's not you know someone that mishandling the clippers it's an allergic dog is a lot of the time why we see it and trying to kind of first of all find out about what, what each other knows about each other's industry because i think yeah. they don't know and that's the half the battle i don't think I think they think they know, but they don't know. No, that's it. It's, it is all down to communication, isn't it? And, you know, they do, a vet has a six-year university degree course, so it's probably unreasonable for us to go and, well, we need to do a lecture about dog grooming. I don't know if that's a thing, but maybe, I, I know they have to do work experience and placements and stuff like that. Maybe that could so be a good idea to, to do a placement. Yeah. I think the, I think it would be a good idea to placement, and I think they would be the best ones to tackle with the people that are going through vet school, you know, as we speak. Mm because they're more open-minded and I think it would be a case of even if it was a conversation of how can you work with other professionals as a vet like how can they you know how can that improve your well-being as well as a vet you know instead of you having to worry about the owner that is finding it impossible to bath their dog at home and the skin's getting no better and you know that if they just do this one thing it might actually feel a lot better but they can't to then be aware that they you know could team up with a groomer and start making, you know, bringing the two things together. Yeah. I think it really is an ignorance. I knew nothing about grooming until I started a grooming course in 2014, and I was absolutely shocked. Um, what, was the, what was the top three things that you, like, blew your head, blew you away going, oh, my God, I didn't realise that? So I thought before, and this is honest truth, before I started dog grooming, I actually thought aspects were cruel, aspects of it were cruel. Like I thought it was going to be like always against the dog's will and it was going to be, you know, quite forceful. And I didn't actually really have a clue. And I thought the only really benefit for for like doing for grooming was to make them look pretty. And it was just an aesthetics thing. Wow. So I kind of, you know, didn't know. And, and I have to say, I think I wouldn't be the only vet that would think that at that point. You know, yeah. it's just a because let's face it, when we go to the hairdressers, they're not really necessarily there always for our scalp, are they? Or for our skin. <laughs> right. They just cut our hair and try to make us look better. Yeah. So I guess you transfer those skills over to the dog grooming world and think that's what the role is. That's what they do. They're there to beautify the dog. And, you know, knowing some of the dogs I come across, you know, it must be really heavily restrained. It must be really stressful. And I got in and realised that it was just not like that at all. And I felt quite embarrassed that I had those thoughts. And actually realized at that point because I would have been what qualified about eight years not eight years where are we I've been so about five years and probably realized in my own self how blimmin ignorant I was at that point 
and how closed off I was to anything else being mm. a vet. That's amazing. And it may have changed me massively going to get involved in that industry. And then then uniting with lots of other industries as well, mm. um, other than just groomers, and started to realise that this is crazy. Why are we doing this on our own? Why, why as a vet am I thinking I'm the be-all and end-all to that animal's life? Because I'm just one part. I, you know, I'm not... And I, and I think that's right. And that's why I was thinking like the, the work placement thing and a lot of people would be like, oh, why do I want to go and spend a week in, um, week in, a, in a pet room, you know? But I think that's the thing you hit the nail on the head there is you are one part of that animal's care, well, aren't you? Yeah, so yeah. the vet is one part, you know, the dog walker might be one part, the, the, the pet groomer is definitely a big part of the animal's care. You know, so it's like that holistic sort of view of of the animal. So it's actually in their interest to get to know all these other aspects of the dog's life to understand what might be going on when they come in as a patient. Yeah, well, you've hit the nail on the head as well. It's very true. And I think it's I think a lot of it is ignorance as well. Like I think, you know, dog grooming and dog walking and all these other professionals now become much bigger players in the kind of animal industry when I first went to vet school you know it wasn't none of these things were massively common mm. you know you think I would have started 18 years ago at vet school it, it this was not commonplace you know to have all of these different things you know doggy daycares and you know and then um I used to take my springer actually to a groomer and he absolutely loved it you know I did see it as an idea I was a typical owner to me it was a real pampering session for him. And I'm sure actually, you know, when I used to groom him, it was, he used to fall asleep and he loved it. <laughs> um, but I've understood that as well, that, you know, there was that aspect of me of, would they be forced or actually part of me sometimes slipped into the, oh, it's, it's a real treat, you know, having your hair washed and cut, it's a real treat. So I don't know, I think there's, if you've not done it and you've not been there or you don't at least have a, a groomer friend and you're a vet, I, I don't see how all your dog goes to the groomer all the time and you're, you know, you know your groomer. I, I just, this communication won't happen and they yeah. won't know. Yeah. So how do we change that? <laughs> so I think you'd have to work really slowly on the, you know, trying to get, um, like you say, you need to get into the kind of, to the, the, the kind of vet students that are working in industry now mm. or studying um and getting someone in the dog grooming world to to give a lecture and give a lecture on um you know something like along the lines of you know dog and cat grooming is not just to make us pretty and then to literally highlight things the role of the dog groomer how they could mix as a benefit between the actual you and the you know and the dog like how could they be more involved yeah, it's like um, how your your how your pet groomer can be your ally and not your enemy, or, or something like that. You know, yeah, can be your yeah. big, uh, the pet groomer the asset. You know, something yeah. like that, isn't it? And sort of opening their eyes to um, to to the information and the knowledge and the and what we what pet groomers see all the time. Yeah, and I think it's really important because I don't think it's highlighted enough. And of course, you know, <clears throat> unfortunately as well, whenever there's anything much to do with grooming in the media and things like that, <clears throat> it doesn't ever really focus much on all the other things apart from the, the, the aesthetics. Mm. And so it keeps feeding back into the fact that that's all groomers do. Mm. And people don't have that realisation that actually, you know, they pick up on 
illnesses. They they discover things that actually your vet is unlikely to because they don't they have a 15-minute consult maximum and they're usually focusing on one area. So you know those lumps and bumps that your groomer finds, we probably wouldn't find those necessarily on a on a visit, a vet visit. Yeah. But it's about trying to like wake the industry up really. Um and that will really help groomers as well because I think Again, it's really easy, isn't it, that when something goes wrong to get quite irate and upset and worried about it. And I mean, I know I've done, you know, I've made mistakes. I've I've cut a dog when I've been grooming before and, and my heart just, you know, left my body, basically. I thought my life was over. And I think, you know, we and we need to kind of be able to, that's the other thing, you need to be able to have those conversations directly with the vet. That would be nice as well to be able to yeah. actually have a vet to groomer conversation rather than via the owner. Because let's face it, no offence to, to people in general, but it's always like Chinese whispers. That's it. A no blame culture to start, you know, just to have that open, that open conversation. And, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't want this conversation to be like a bit negative. I, I want to highlight, uh, as we were discussing, you know, the, the veterinary world is in a crisis or is coming yeah. to a crisis very quickly. And yeah. there's been a very rapid, um, a very rapid commercialization of vets. Uh, a lot of vets around our way are owned by Mars Corporation, which has then uh, upset a lot of the, the the vets, like you're saying, because everything's now charged properly or charged higher, and you can't look after the the maybe the the dog that the, the little old lady hasn't got as much money. You can't look after them as as well as you may have used to be able to because the corporates have got into the into the vet world and are, are pushing for the profit over um, something. So there is a a recruitment crisis, you know, a perfect storms come along with Brexit. Yeah. Um, a lot of European vets are now staying in Europe because the economies are a lot better. So um, the veterinary industry is struggling. So I just wanted to make sure that as pet groomers, <clears throat> we can also understand that our veterinary colleagues are also under a lot of pressure. So when we do speak to them or we do have negative feedback, then we need to take that into account as well, the immense pressure that they're under as well. Yeah, it's a really good, a very, very good point. They are. It's um <clears throat> probably people have seen the the little not the NOMB, not one more vet um sign that's coming out or that has been out for quite a long time. So if you're a vet, you'll put a picture of yourself and then the the letters N-O-M-V and it set, stands for not one more vet. Because we've had huge numbers of, of suicide as well in the veterinary mm. industry, just just over, you know, total stress and burnout. And it, it it really is, you know, it can really get to you like that, even when it wasn't as busy as it is now and, and as precious as I feel it is now. And, you know, so sometimes vets just don't have that mindset to even think about, you know, utilising the groomer or doing because they've got that 15 minutes and it's like bang, 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 next you know, and trying to do the best you can health-wise in that time. And sometimes I think that can come across badly as well to to groomers, like, you know, they're not interested in us or, it's that, you know, so I think there's so many factors. And like you said, you know, and vet bashing, oh, it's really real. You know, you know, it's, it's, it's I, I try just not to read it now. I just, I just switch off and think I'm not, I, I can't get into this because, you know again it's all Chinese whispers and we don't really know what exactly happened um, and we don't know exactly what's going on but what I do know is that 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 vet if they're reading that you know that could just be enough for them to say that's it I've had it no that's it and it's very similar when I was in the police service you know I never wanted to read a newspaper I never wanted 
haven't been in newspapers myself, you know, it, it really, really is horrible. Um, yeah. And it's the same for any any profession, any of the people listening. It could happen to any of us, couldn't it? But um, I, I was thinking then maybe not only do we need to get into the, the vets and the profession, but like the practice managers, the vet nurses, you know, yeah. educating the, the whole of the system, not just the one, you know, there's more, it's just more people that work in the vets than just the vets, isn't it? There are, and, you know, also maybe trying, you know, obviously <clears throat> one thing that's quite a big thing in a veterinary uh, clinic is things called lunch and learn. So you take your lunch and someone comes along and teaches you a topic. You um, gain yourself an hour's CPD because you have to do a certain amount of CPD every year, um, which is continual professional development. But you can do it whilst you're having your lunch. And usually the lovely person that comes to teach you brings you really naughty stuff like donuts. So everyone's really happy. Um Another good place that would be to try and push into the, you know, talk about the grooming world more is to do a nice 40 minute lunch and learn, you know, take some, take some tasty along for them to have. And just you'll find that it's probably the nicest way to be able to have those conversations. It's the sort of thing I'd love to go around and be able to do. I just don't have the time to do that. And I think you'd need a team of people in different regions to be able to deliver those. Um, but it would be a really good way, I think, to get around to the vets that are already in practice and just explaining like a little PowerPoint of, you know, what is it all about? You know, how could they be of assistance to the veterinary clinic? Um, and, you know, what sort of things is it that they tend to pick up and find when they're when they're grooming do- their dogs and cats? I keep saying dogs all the time, but cats as well. <laughs> I think it would be a really good idea. But it's finding that team of people that would like to deliver those things and okay. do that. Yeah, and and they're going to be the 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 uh, pathfinders, aren't they, on sort of bringing the two industries together? Yeah, I mean, you need a. I've definitely got. So I find out quite a lot of vet nurses are going into grooming now. There's, I've got yeah. quite a few vet nurse friends, um, so they definitely understand the industries as well, which is really nice. I definitely had the same sceptical feelings at the beginning that I had when going into the new industry of, you know, is it going to be like this? Do they do this? You know, do they do they chain dogs up you know is it is it really awful you know and realizing that actually it's really not and you know it's it's actually you know really nice to actually get a bit especially the dog's nice nice to get some actual time with them rather than just when they're sick and, and clearing you know, up mess and, yeah 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 <laughs> it's a story of my life I've sort of yeah learned to switch off from that now but um yeah it is really hard and I don't know how that I, I would love to see that happen quicker and, but as I say, it's almost like a team of people um, contacting some of the big corporates that you know that are out there and arranging for these little meetups to mm. to happen. And um, I deal with lots of different people in lots of different industry, like in, in veterinary clinics as well. And I really do share. You know, they, often, they often ask me, you know, what else do you do, you do then if you're sort of not always doing full time vetting, you know? And for some weeks I might do a crazy long week, and other weeks I might not be in very clinic at all and I sort of explained to him about the teaching I do and then that's always good because it always leads to conversations about like people in other industries and stuff and it's it's really great I always leave and think well hopefully that's some another person that might spread the word but obviously it's not on a huge scale no it is I, I wonder actually if there's anyone listening that works at pets at home because obviously they combine the 
under the one roof you've got the groomers and and the, and the vets and the under the one roof I, I wonder what the the culture's like um at those places whether they go out and have lunch together or whether they are there is that communication between the two the two oh, I reckon so. well actually no you say that mind you oh I worked at a pets at home a long time ago but I don't think they had the groomers there actually then they didn't they didn't that's going to say because I don't yeah I wonder um, I mean the other opportunity I've got which might be quite useful is I've been asked to do a talk in um, either the end of this year or start of next just waiting for confirmation for the British Veterinary Nursing Association so the BVNA and um, that's going to be my choice topic is about um, uniting pet professionals and trying to because there should be quite um, a large number of people at that event so I was thinking this could be a really because they were like your topic of choice you know, they might be hoping I'm going to come in with some sort of great um, disease in a dog. And I was like, no, I'm going to go off the wall and I'm, yeah. I'm going to I'm going to talk about something totally different. I'm going to use some really cool examples to keep it very interesting and show things like um, Joe Silksmith picking up on her dog with thrombocytopenia, which was absolutely awesome. You mm. know, and showing the real positive stories and maybe some of the negative, like the, mat- the heavily massive dogs and the impact that has to make them realise I saw a matted dog the other day, and when they took the mats off, there were maggots underneath. Mm. So, you know, trying to sort of show them that actually it, it isn't aesthetics. Some of it is, of course it is. And that's the other thing I never thought I'd like, but I actually like creative grooming as well. I think, you know, some of these dogs, they, depending on the type of dog, enjoy, you know, just, I don't know, just, I know, I know my little chihuahua would, he'd stand there all day if I decided that I was just going <laughs> to play around and, you know, give him a blue tail or something he'd absolutely love it, it would just anything I'm, I just want to touch all the time and I've just, just learned lots of things here's a, here's a good one so yesterday we had a um a, a dog a male dog uh, which was a stud dog um getting ready to be studded out and we uh or we no, I didn't do it but my wife um his willy was matted to his belly so, mm. so we potentially like saved a fertility clinic visit you know oh, why is this gosh. dog why is this dog not working oh and that must have been so so uncomfortable for him as well it's still it's things like that isn't it you know it's just things like that that groomers um pick up on you know yeah. your dog's not going to be working as a stud if this happens and this is why it's not yeah they might have spent a load of money like having some tests but then someone to realize uh your willy's matted to your belly like <laughs> i know and you're right and i think we need to work on that and i think i've got lots of plans and obviously i think probably you're the best person to work with on this and trying to get the the words and the the, the vision out there i've got you know loads of really great plans because i i hate seeing it but then the, the, one of the reasons I hate seeing any of this bashing in any capacity, that's groomer bashing as well, is because I have the thinnest skin on the planet and I get so easily upset about, you know, seeing anything negative like that and feeling like, you know, people being picked on when I, they're actually in the right. It makes me really fed up, which is one of the drives behind trying to in, <clears throat> improve communication because I, I feel like a lot of these problems come from people just misunderstanding. Simple as that. Yeah, I, you know. and not knowing what each other do, not knowing what every other everyone else do, and, and it's not yeah. just this industry. You know, the industry that I was in beforehand, the police service. Uh, I was in one department, and if I walked into another department's room, everyone would sort of bury their head in the computer and not want to talk to you. Yeah. You know, because they didn't understand what we did, and they didn't understand what we needed, and we didn't understand. And that was all through communication. You know, we sort of always said we need to get into these departments and tell them what we do and why 
we just turn up, do what we do, and then disappear again, sort of thing. There's reasons behind everything that people do, but it's just that yeah. misunderstanding, isn't it? It is that misunderstanding, and I hate it when you see the things like you know when people think, oh, groomers just cuddle little puppies all day, and like they <laughs> they really get to me. And I suppose it's now because I've I've been in those like worked in those industries, and I've got a friend who's a hydrotherapist. I spent some time with her, with the, and thought. Blimey, you know, I thought it'd be quite fun, like swimming dogs. It's really hard work. Yeah. Like, but again, it's just ignorance. Like I like to think now that I'm older, I'm not as ignorant as I think I used to be, and just make assumptions about things. Um, I, well, I, I'm definitely not like that now. I, I really am much more, you know, open-minded and like to explore things for myself before I make a judgment. But the trouble is, not everybody does that, and I've noticed that as well. I, I sometimes I think to myself, why can't you just why can't you just say it how it is? Or why can't you just do, I don't know, people really upset me sometimes. I get so cross because I just think, why do you have to say it in that tone? Or why do you have to do that? Why can't you just, why can't you just be nice? Like, you know, why do you have to sort of create a, a horrible vibe or do these things or be rude? Or why don't you just ask a question? And, you know, I, I ask questions all the time. And I think, you know, sometimes I probably do look stupid, you know, a bit like my post the other day where I, you know, I did, I, I I thought that the stray bird that I had was pregnant and my boss had to literally sit down, take my hand, explain to me that, you know, birds don't, they lay <laughs> eggs so few. They won't, you know, she, she won't be pregnant. And I was like, oh, yes. <laughs> you know, so I made many a blunder. You got, you know, you got kids, you got businesses, you got husbands. Oh, this is know, before you know. all of that. This oh, is right, in the okay. prime of my, this is in the prime of my career when I was <laughs> supposed to be like and hot on everything. And I literally, yeah, but my boss, so he was, he was great. I'll, I'll never forget working with him. One of the best vets I've ever worked with. He's retired now, but he was absolutely fantastic. And at least we laughed about it for ages, you know, um, after that. But it could, with the wrong people, I could have been looked at as being really stupid. Yeah. <laughs> but whereas he, well, he did still think I was stupid, but in a real life, you know, well, that's safety for you. You know, she does ask these things. Like, it's it's, it's interesting. You, you said about the hydrotherapy. I wonder if... Um, I was part of a hydrotherapy group having this conversation, whether it be a similar conversation. So, um, you know, do they, do vets understand what hydrotherapy, because obviously I know they have to refer to hydrotherapy. Yeah. So I'd like to think that they have a bit more knowledge, but. I don't think they do. And I I, I think, well, I, say, I can't say vets in general. I mean, there's yeah. lots of vets that do, but not everybody like physios as well. I don't even think people really appreciate like the role of the dog walker and uh, border and, um, yeah. you know, because actually, those things are really hard. Like I think the responsibility of anyone's pet in any capacity is really has it has a lot of challenges, and I hate that as well. When you think, I often see that mainly with the dog walkers that people are almost like, oh, you get paid for nothing, and you're like, do you know how difficult it can be to like navigate through this? Like getting dogs that work together on a walk, yeah, matching them all up, and yeah, it's, it's hard. It's a lot of responsibility, you know. And let's face it. Dogs might be, you know, the same for days running and then have that moment of, I'm not going to listen to you today. And do you know that when accidents happen? And actually, um, the thing about dog walker, they might say, well, they're getting paid for it. But actually, they are they are actually helping. Uh, they're probably helping a family to go to work um, because they might or, or they're helping a dog to have a family because that family might not have a have a, a family because they're going out to work you know yeah. they're keeping that dog occupied they're keeping it exercised they're looking at all the health conditions as well so yeah they get paid for it but actually they're doing a whole whole load of benefits yeah. and it's 
that's it's that overall view of the whole industry isn't it and it, I, yeah. it just keeps coming back to that work placement um you know so that the veterinary industry has an overview of what everyone else does because I mean they they normally take the lead in everything they've got the legislation behind them the veterinary act etc but it's having that overview of what how important everyone else is and how it all feeds into that yeah, and I think, and that probably moulds you as well as, as a vet. Like when we had to do um, what we call EMS, so having to go and like obviously do our nine to five at uni, but then had to use the holidays that we had to go and see practice or work within, um, you know, an animal environment. And my first placement, I did two months at a dog kennels. And it really moulded me right from the beginning at that point because it was blooming hard work. It had lots of challenges we were faced with. I, it was very client facing and I was directly facing with the clients, which was a, it was a good thing. Mm. But usually, you know, most people as vet students might just pick clinics all the time. And of course, you're just out the back and sort of shadowing. Whereas I sort of tried to pick other industries to get a bit of an idea. Never went to a dog groomers, but as I say, then I think about it and think it just wasn't as such a big a big no, thing at the time. Yeah. And I have to say as well, even though I'm animal mad, we never had a dog growing up. It just wasn't, we didn't have any, I mean, mm. I was allowed a hamster. And that was it, but we just didn't have any pets. So I wasn't faced with that. You know, my parents didn't have the dog to take to the groomer or anything like that. We didn't have it. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think now it's, it is, it's just about that realisation, that communication and just not being ignorant to it and understanding that everybody has this, I think, you know, people try and put a price on things. And I wouldn't hesitate about paying childcare money because I have to, because like you say, you've got, I need to go to work. Mm. My children need looking after. So I guess I also compare that to my dog or my cat yeah. <laughs> and think, you know, well, I want to, it's a bit like sometimes if we go out the, the other week, we went out for a long day and we, we're going to be out for about eight hours. So we have someone that comes over for the dogs and obviously paid them to come over, walk them, you know, stay with them for a little bit. And, mm. you know, and I didn't even hesitate. I was like, well, they need it. I'm going to be out for eight hours and I can't as much as I, well, they'll never cross their legs. They're three males, all entire little sods, because if I, little if dogs. I Oh, they just want to cock their leg everywhere. They just about realise that, you know, the chihuahuas, because they're little and they're only just gone over just a year old. And they've just realised that, you know, cocking your leg has to take place in the garden, not up against one of my house plants, which is usually what they try, uh, but don't get away with that anymore. But yeah, they, you know, they need a wee. They've got to get out. They need, you know, stuff. Oh, not if it's matted to its belly. <laughs> yes, I know, right? Oh, don't. That would never happen with my chihuahuas. They've always got their lipsticks out, actually. Alan spends most of his life pumping. I just turned a blind eye to it because I've decided I don't want to castrate them at this point. Too, you know, I've got a funny funny views on neutering. Well, not funny views, actually. Educated views on neutering. Um, and the boys, I tend to... I would say it's a lifestyle choice sometimes because, you know, entire males can be a pain. But there's a lot of... Um, studies out there at the moment say there's not a there's not a whole load of benefits to castrating them under the age of five years old so yeah. I've made a decision a conscious decision with my three boys that I'm not going to think about nutrient them until I get to they get to the age of five or um, they've just destroyed your house in oh don't. <laughs> no <laughs> thankfully they, yeah definitely outside now don't be awful 
the inner workings of Bill and Sophie's head. You've just been listening to, like... <laughs> I I'm sorry. I feel like, in fact, I've just forgotten that we're actually on a Facebook Live and I've just thought I'm just there having a chat. This is the sort of thing that I do with, although I, in fact, just reminded me that I need to call her, the sort of thing I do with Julie Harris. We just sit there, just if we're on Zoom, even if, like, or privately on Zoom, we have to have Joe saying, guys, we've been chatting for four hours now, I need to end it, stop. <laughs> okay, we're going. <laughs> That'd be mammoth. Uh, we've, got, we've got a few questions for you. Um, how long does it take to become a veterinary nurse? So it depends how you do it. Yeah. You can go and do the degree, uh, go and do it as a degree. I believe that's three years. Or you can do it as an apprentice. So you get a place in practice and then they send you to college for one day a week. And it depends how quickly they can get you on to... Um, the exams and how how quickly you pass each one but usually within two years yeah and you're paid during that time yeah I have another suggestion for the uh, industry and that's to make a very clear pathway from vet nurse to 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 vet but a a quicker pathway not yeah you're vet nurse you've done three years at uni now you're going to do another six years at at you know make it a nice career career progression that might get more and um, and a side note to that, talking about all the things we need to, we've spoken about tonight, vet nurses need to get paid more. Oh yeah. That that needs to that needs to happen. You know, they 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 work blimmin' hard. And up until recently, you know, I've had friends that are very experienced vet nurses that are not taking a much home more than minimum wage home. Um and it's it's soul destroying because you know, we we need we need vet nurses and of course they're leaving the industry because it's not that they don't love their job, but they also got to live. <laughs> got to be, you know, got to pay the bills and put the food on the table. And hopefully, it looks like that is starting to improve now. Um, but it's taken a long time. Yeah. If if I ever if I was ever to talk to a <coughs> disgruntled vet, uh, <coughs> excuse me, vet nurse, it'd be like coming to the grooming industry. <coughs> it, it's such a swaps over well. <coughs> excuse me. No, you're absolutely right. And I just, yeah, I just, I, I feel for them. You know, they they work, they work really hard. They put up with a lot of crap sometimes, you know. You, you know, they have to put up with my really dodgy jokes. And tell you that uh, birds lay eggs. <laughs> um, why did you decide to become a groomer when you were a vet? So it was a double thing, really. So this is the really depressing part. Um, I So the house I'm in now, we'd not long moved in. And where I'm sat now, this used to be my grooming um, area, actually, mm. um, was like a kind of dilapidated thing. And I decided that maybe at some point I might have children and I wanted to be able to be at home more. I mean, this is coming from someone that was probably doing, on average, minimum 80 hours a week as a vet minimum I mean I was a disgusting workaholic like I'm surprised that if I hadn't had children and COVID hadn't have happened I would still be doing those hours I can see that I could see that would have been me um and at the time what slowed me down a bit at that point was that my mum was ill it was terminal we knew she was going to die and we were in the garden together and she just looked at me and she said you know what Sophie I think you could do more I think you have a business. I think you could do something. Like I really, she's like, I know you're a vet. And I know you love it, but I don't know. I want to see. I want to see you have a life. You know, you just, you just dedicated to this, and I want to see you do more, and I want to see you kind of have some time at home and, and see Adam, like my partner, and things. 
And she suggested it. Why, why don't you think about dog grooming? You know, why don't you look at it? Would you, do you think it'd be something that you would enjoy? Like you'd be quite creative. Um, uh, more so in other areas, definitely not in grooming. I realised that early on. Um, and yeah, she just said, well, why don't you? And then perhaps it's something that, you know, you could trans- transform that building, which you were going to do anyway. And maybe even if it's the case, you just have a couple of days at, at like a week at home I was traveling vast amounts for my work as well mm-hmm. and so you don't have to do all the driving you haven't got to go and do the really heavy hours and you know you can still do a long day but you're you're at home and I thought and she, and I think part of that was actually if you could just slow down because I don't know how much I've got here <laughs> like time I've got here I'd like to spend some time with you and so you know that's what was my driving factor was and that sounds like a really weird thing back but like now when I say it out loud um, and also I was intrigued by the industry mm. and I wanted to find out more because I had such mixed views being pampered on one part, you know, it being really horrible on the other part. And I kind of, it was an industry that kind of very much interested me. And also I used to see lots of cool, uh, like dog groomers. I always thought they looked really cool. <laughs> so I was like, maybe I can be cool too. Like, so. I want to see that. <laughs> <laughs> And I loved it. I loved learning and I loved I loved doing it. And actually, there's a lot of times now that I really miss, you know, just I would love hand stripping is my thing. That's what I loved. Hmm. Although I believe it's kind of like the dying thing now. It's not so yeah. much demand. And I loved it. That was my favourite part. Cool. Um, everyone else is just singing your praises, really. There's not many questions. Just like <laughs> Sophie's amazing. <laughs> That's all it's very not, do you know it's funny Bill because <laughs> I I literally and it's really nice for me because I um totally get that what's that horrible syndrome where you doubt yourself oh imposter syndrome. Imposter. <laughs> terrible terrible me and my friend Shelly is another bit we suffer really badly and um there's some days where I it's debilitating because I'm like reading everything again and again like have I definitely is it definitely 20 milligrams per kilo that dose have I definitely got that right? And I know I've done it. I've done it countless numbers of times. And there's something about what I do now and support from other people around that comments like that, it, I don't think we'll realise the actual impact, especially with someone like me that I say is quite mm. thin-skinned and, you know, quite pathetic really in that respect. Um, but it's a huge push. <laughs> you know, I wrote an article for somebody today and I've done a few articles for some companies before and they just usually write back and say, Okay, thanks. Um, we'll send you the next one. And the message back was, Sophie, I love this in big capital letters. And I was like, you don't realise how that's lovely. Like you've literally made me excited about doing that now. And you've given me the real boost to keep going. And I think that's what I get from people that I meet teaching via Zoom, just chatting on social media. You know, it's really nice. Yeah, uh, uh, the bit, I remember having uh, imposter syndrome over asking the imposter syndrome experts to come and do a, do a uh, podcast about it. And I was like, you know, she she coaches multi-million pound CEOs on how to, so which proves that we all suffer or no matter what you yeah. do, you can suffer from imposter syndrome. And I'm like, why would she like to come and do like, a podcast with little old me when she's been, but actually when I, 
I, I pinned the message in on Messenger and pressed send. I was like, it's too late now. I can't do anything about it. I can't take it back. Have you done it? Have you got a podcast? Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the very first one that I've done. The very first one. Yeah. I'm going to have to listen to that because I think a lot of people aren't even aware of what imposter syndrome is. No, no I, until I heard um, Tara Halliday is her name, and until I read her, her book and and uh, heard her speak, I never really understood that I suffered with a lot of imposter syndrome in my previous career. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and And, you know, I sent that message. And then I saw she read it, and then within minutes she was like, "I'd love to, I'd love to do that." And I still send her comments now of when people message me saying, "I'm so pleased that you did that imposter syndrome podcast because it's really helped." And I still send those comments on. She, she's really like over the moon because that's yeah, that's really nice. It's nice actually because I remember putting a little post about imposter syndrome a long time ago on my um, Facebook page, and um, a groomer contacted me and said you know I I really struggle with this as well and it was so sweet because it was at a time when I was finding it really difficult to deal with it and so was she and every couple of days we just check in hey how are you getting on today like we said we've never met and it was really (laughs) nice it was almost like you know are you having a bit of a better day today or and it was actually really nice because I was really struggling with it at the time like I say just just questioning everything I think you know it's that perfection thing where you want to do your best and I'm like don't want to make any errors obviously you know I'm looking after people's animals as in yeah life and death some of these things you know and it's sort of it's, sometimes it's, when you, you know gets to you yeah it's the secret feeling of feeling of, of of being of feeling a fraud and being discovered but it comes about when you have high challenge which can be like anything you know dealing with a, a grumpy customer could be high challenge uh and low support so what you did there yeah. with that groomer was you started to support each other and then you started to that imposter syndrome started to sort of um, leave itself because you were getting that support mm. from each other, weren't you? <clears throat> yeah, that's really good. But I do, yeah, I, I, and I get it. And I don't even get it just in the February world. I get it sometimes when I'm teaching, like that whole thing, like you say, of being like you're a fraud. Sometimes I do, and when people are supportive of you, sometimes I get quite emotional about it. And Adam will be like, "Why?" And I'm like, "I don't know. I just really worry something bad's going to happen. Like I really think that maybe that like someone thinks." you know there's something more to me I must just be really awful and like you know I get almost kind of really worried about this it's weird I go through different phases and then yeah I do it's funny so I think people I don't think people really think I'm a vet like that's the other one as well you know and, and the biggest the biggest change for me I suppose and I'd never be doing this I'd never be doing this business without a mentor behind me or without a team of mentors behind me that you can turn to so when I when I resigned from the police <clears throat> you know you're walking away from a 40,000 pound job I could never be made redundant from that job you know it was against the law to make police officers redundant yeah. so so you're walking away from that security but I knew that with that team of people behind me I would never fall over or I'd never fail yeah. because they are always there you know, sometimes you have to go and ask them for that support or for that help and you get used to asking for it, but they're always there behind you saying, yeah. you could do this, you know, you could do this. And that's having that mentorship in your life. It, it makes such a big change to things. It does. And I think that's probably why I've improved from going. So I came off nights for a while because nights are quite lonely. It's usually just you and the vet nurse, AKA second vet, because you literally, you know, they, they have to be on it like you are really because it's the two of you to a clinic where there's quite a lot of it and actually for a while I was like oh my brain feels like it's relaxing a little bit I've got this nice support behind I have to keep questioning you know I can just kind of 
take a bit of a breather instead of high adrenaline and always worrying about yeah you, you know, wear out you burn out yeah yeah you definitely do and I think that happens to everyone it happens to groomers I've seen that a lot as well you know this is the time of year now in terms of going back to groomers that you have to really look after yourself you're coming up to Christmas now and if you're anything like I was when I was grooming and I was always squeezing in just that extra person you know the one that hasn't planned for Christmas and I was writing my diary Christmas Eve off and then by the time I got to Christmas Eve, I was working 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. grooming everyone's dogs because I didn't do that for myself, you know, and that was, you know, and then you start to hate what you do because you're angry that there's nothing for you. Like you work really hard, you know, you make some money, but there's nothing left for you. You know, there's no time and you resent your decision. So I do now I actually write in a marker pen in my diary usually in red so I'm warning myself today is a day off and like the half I have to otherwise I, I won't and yeah you know what uh, sorry again go back to what my mentor says you know if you don't actually take that day off or put that go for that walk that bike ride that gym class that week off if you don't actually do that then you're actually letting your clients down because your clients want a better version of you that's rested, yeah. um, you know, rested mentally, rested physically, and able to, to perform like well, or do they want a burned out version of you where they're just getting like 70% of your, your yeah. energy and your time and, and the stress. So <clears throat> by, by actually putting in that time out, those holidays, that gym time, you know, whatever helps you to, to relax and stuff, you're actually doing your clients, you're benefiting your clients. Yeah. Um, but you're dis- you're doing them a disservice if you just carry on and on and on and on, and you're not you're not able to perform at your your sort of maximum for them. Yeah, it's a very good way of looking at it. I like that, and I think it is good. And I've I mean I have to say I've I've learned that with with age. I never mm. used to allow myself to do that because I thought the other way around. If I don't take that day off, then or if I do take that day off, I'm doing my clients a disservice because I'm not opening for them. But I would like, have that whole other way around. And they need me. Whereas actually by saying I'm not free that day, everyone can find another space. Like, you know, it just happens. <laughs> but I do feel that now for the groomers is starting to hit round to Christmas. And I think especially new groomers really got to look after yourself because you could li- literally, if you're a busy salon anyway, just saying yes, 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 all the time. You're just going to have any time to go home and have a mince pie if you like mince pies <laughs> no we had it we had keep it away in, from your dog we had it in the salon a few weeks ago um emma walked in after a few days off looked at the whiteboard and just went no we're not doing all these dogs today and she got our asked our receptionist to start moving dogs around yeah and you know some people might see some people might think oh you know we're letting the clients down and we've got nowhere to move them to but it's that flip side again isn't it saying well actually yeah. We're doing, we're, we're, give, we're creating a better service to our clients, to the ones that are on the board and the ones that we're moving. We're doing them a better service because we're going to be able to spend more time with them rather yeah. than to squeeze them in. So, And you'll be more relaxed in your mindset. Because I remember when I first qualified as a vet, it's funny you saying about that board. I remember days in one of my first jobs where, you know, it was me and another new grad. There was no other, you know, experience in, in there you know we relied on the nurses really because we were trying to find our way through and it would be exactly like that you'd have this mass operation board 
then you'd have the emergencies coming in and then you're almost expected to kind of scrub out run downstairs and do barney's vaccination you know and then stay down there and keep doing all the other vaccinations now i do exactly that i look at it and say everything that's non like everything that's routine needs to go because i need to focus on on what i'm doing right now like because i don't i don't I, you know what what's here is sick and I, that needs my attention and barney's vaccination can wait it's, it, it doesn't need to happen today and actually we're a good clinic like that anyway that that just is a given you know if you're like the vet that's suddenly been into an emergency everybody else either picks up the slack or they just move to another day but when I first qualified it wasn't like that and you were just expected to do it all and it was it was absolutely terrible and I'd been there for 18 months and I decided as a very last minute to take a week off I'm not coming in on Monday well it's just like my words and my boss looked at me and went well you haven't taken any holiday and I went it's for all the missed lunch hours, the times when I haven't been able to even have a wee, the nights that I've left late, because we never used to get overtime or anything like that. In fact, you probably owe me about three months off, <laughs> but I'm taking the week and that's it. Now, he didn't argue and he let me go and I went and I had that week off. And then he, actually, he, he emailed the other boss to tell her what I'd done in quite a kind of aggressive way. And he accidentally sent it to me. Um, and <laughs> at the time, I did sort of, all I said to him was, uh that you shouldn't have sent this to me and actually I think it mortified it more than anything because then he was like you know looking back I did I just I just called the shots but that's it I'm having a week off that's what's happening um and then you know probably went back to work and then about a month like after that I had a horrendous like anxiety disorder it was really awful Touchwood never had it again since but at that point I then had to take quite a long period off work and um I left that job as a consequence and, and actually went somewhere else that was more controlled. Uh, yeah. But yeah, that nearly, uh, if it was now, I might have just left the veterinary industry. Um, yeah. But I kept going, but it was dangerous times really for my health. Yeah, it's, it's so important that we recognise that, having that time out. Uh, yeah. So important. Absolutely. Ooh. Well, I think we've definitely just poured <laughs> out our brains, haven't we? For anyone that is still sort of hanging on listening, it's been random in parts but hopefully somewhat interesting maybe i hope so we've, we've covered a lot of topics <laughs> yeah absolutely and we should definitely try and um you know again even if anybody's sort of still listening in and has any ideas on how we can re- you know unite um pet professionals and i've got some ideas and i can maybe have a more of a chat you know another time with you bill and we can perhaps you know come up with some some ideas i like the lunch and learn idea i like the idea of getting in. yeah I've, I've written that down you know um we've got um care of pet professionals which i, I said to you which we're launching yeah. um soon for regarding mental ill health uh, within the pet professional maybe that will help to reunite the industries perhaps because we're going to have all the different yeah. pet professionals coming in um but then I was concerned that it might also put a barrier up. I don't know. But there's other things to talk no. to you about on, a, on another day. Yeah, yeah. And I think you could definitely come up with a, a plan. Because what would actually be nice as well is if, you know, if there's a if there's a couple of local groomers in a particular area that like a bit of public speaking. Um, you know, I know not everyone's a cup of tea, but, you know, just doing a short half an hour or something it's about looking at the clinics that are local to them and seeing you know would they be interested in them literally just popping in for a lunch but having something already that written for them to kind of present in a way and add in their own little bit could be a really nice idea 
um, just to start trying to to do that. And I am, so I'm going to put on a webinar, I'm hoping to do that this year, of just like on communication and terminology between differing professionals. Um, and I'm kind of going to throw out what would this mean if someone said it to you and then get each person to explain what that would mean to them just to try and look at, you know, where, where it might be going wrong. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's lots of work to be done there. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. A hundred percent. Giving ourselves new jobs. <laughs> well, it's been awesome talking to you as usual. Thank you. Um, I'm sure lots of people, there's lots of um, great comments. I'll tag you in the, in the comments so you can start you. reading through those. Uh, I'm going to leave you to your evening because it's, it's getting late now. This will be out on a podcast as well. So you can uh, share it with your grooming friends. I'm not sure about vet friends, but uh, <laughs> maybe share it, you know, share I don't, it. No, now you make me all worried. I'll be like, Lisa, what did I say? What did I, I always do that as well, because I do just say what comes into my head. I do sometimes think that after I've done something like this, I'm like, did I do something that I, or say something uh, that I should have it's a, it's a, It's a frank and honest conversation, isn't it, about the, where the industries are. And oh, 100%. I, I think yeah. it's about time that we start looking at joining up rather than, knocking heads yeah i feel that about so many industries actually and it's funny but we said because one of my other things just to sort of as a final point one of the other areas that i feel that as well which i'd like to amalgamate it's never going to happen because the the beliefs are far too strong um is (laughs) dare i say in pet nutrition dog nutrition because some people you know again I, i like to think of myself when it comes to working with people as being really open-minded unless I feel that it's really harming an animal and then I, you will feel the wrath because I, I do have a fiery side as well um then I'm really diplomatic and totally open-minded even when someone's shouting at me well this happened to my okay let's talk about that you know I really am quite good at holding that together and saying let's talk more but nutrition has become such an aggressive topic in a lot of ways that it's one of those things, but like uniting all the pet professionals together, I feel like the different forms of feeders almost need to come (laughs) in the room together. There'll be raw food and kibble, like being thrown around like a big food fight. But we might all get out of our systems and just understand each other that little bit about what our choices are and why we do it. And maybe some people could learn from others about what, what their choices are it's the same sort of thing that I feel how can I unite that because at the same same with the veterinary professionals as well some of those that are really anti-raw you know can we can we just talk about why this happens because otherwise when you don't people do things badly as in they don't do it as it should be done because they won't ask for advice it's another bugbear of mine it's another one of those things on my list that I want to kind of sort out <laughs> <laughs> it's the, the Sophie Bell boxing ring for pet professionals Ding ding. <laughs> and I'm just gonna get out of there. I'll just be like, oh, this is not meant to happen. Big scrap going on. Yeah, no, I mean you need like a, a big conference, don't we? A big pet professional conference. Now you're talking. I have a nice venue as well, actually. There you go, it might be a good one to do. NEC, something like that. Yeah, yeah. of course. <laughs> the O2. O2. <laughs> yeah. A radio mic on, can you hear me at the back? <laughs> well, you never know. Right, we need to go. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, really time. great to speak to you. <laughs> and uh, we're, 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 we're both at the World Grooming Conference, aren't we? As uh, oh, nominees. Yeah, so, yeah, up for a Liz Paul Award, which is kind of, 
yeah, another thing that I keep thinking is not real. Like, <laughs> and I read it and really, 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 you know, kind of, yeah, it's exciting. I'm really looking forward to just going to the evening and seeing everybody and catching up. Some people actually meeting in person, like yourself, mm-hmm. um, and having a night away from my children. So awesome. <laughs> the nomination was just an added bonus. I, 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 you know, that's just made it all even more special, really. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we'll see you there in November. And uh, you're always welcome to come back and uh, chat to us if you've got new and exciting things going on. Um, perhaps you can put in the chat um, all your details so people can get hold of you and, and book on your courses and everything. Yeah, of course. No, pleasure. Excellent. I can do Take that. care. Thanks, Bill. All right. Bye. See you. Can eat well. I can say have a nice evening, everyone. See you later. Bye. Bye. I hope you have enjoyed this podcast. Please make sure you give us a like or a review to help people find it. The podcast is sponsored by Lowpay. Head over to www.lowpay.com to find out more about their payment solution.